which we have chosen for our today's talk on the occasion of Holy Mother's birthday celebration. So in Vedanta, we know that as a practice, they speak of fourfold spiritual practices. Viveka, Vairagya, Samadhamadi, Shat Sampatti, and Mokshitva. So how <clears throat> these fourfold spiritual practices was exemplified in the life of Holy Mother. So that's what we are going to discuss today. At the very onset, we should remember, we should always keep this in mind that uh, the life of a spiritually illumined soul, in the life of a spiritually illumined soul, there's no question of spiritual practice as we think of. Because we find in the life of a spiritually illumined soul that all the so-called traits which we think as sadhana, as practice, is something spontaneous, is finding expression as a natural way of their living. It's a spontaneous expression. It's not for them the sadhana, but what is sadhana? Very nicely, Shankaracharya defines sadhana or spiritual practice. That the spontaneous or natural way of living of a spiritually illumined person, when we are trying to internalize those, when we are trying to imitate the way of living of a spiritually illumined soul, for whom that living is spontaneous. It's not he or she is endearing for that. But when we try to imitate, for us it becomes an endearment. We find that it's not something which is spontaneous in our life. We have to cultivate it. And that's what is sadhana. So when we say sadhana, as exemplified in Holy Mother's life, we should be aware of the fact that it's something very spontaneous in Holy Mother's life. It's not something that she is trying. It was something as a spontaneous expression 
And as it was so natural, that's why Holy Mother's life appears to be so simple. And to give an example at the very beginning, in our student life, we all must have experienced it. That when the teacher is solving some mathematical problem in the blackboard, <clears throat> step by step, he's following the steps, he's solving the mathematical problem. And after he has solved, he asks us, he or she asks us, the students, have you understood the steps? We all say yes. It's easy. And then he will just wipe out what he has done and he will call one of the students and say that just do it. And then we find that we are getting stuck in so many steps. It appeared to be so easy because the teacher, for the teacher, it was spontaneous. He was just doing it. Seeing him doing it in such a spontaneous way, it gave us, it gave us an impression that it's something very easy. But when we try, then we find that it's not that easy. That's why we find that who for the first time is reading the life of Holy Mother? So immediate the question is, what's there in it? To understand that what's there in such a simple life, the only answer will be you lead that life. That in spite of thousands of problems, do you maintain that equanimity? Still, do you have the love for all? You are not judgmental. You don't blame others for the situations of life through which you are going. As it is so spontaneous in the life of Holy Mother, it simply, we simply miss out. That's why when someone asked Holy Mother that what's something uh, extraordinary about you? The Holy Mother's reply was that, can you just live such a simple life? That's a, that, that answer itself is again so simple, we miss the point. That we will find in our life, it is we, because of our own psychological aberrations, bends of mind, we do create unnecessary complications in our life. The life otherwise would have been a very, very uh, a spontaneous flow. We find if we from retrospect, if we try to judge ourselves without being biased to my own way of life, by thinking that I am always right. If we are sufficiently humble to just look back, we will find that how our biases, our inordinate attachments have sometimes really clouded our vision and make the way of life unnecessarily complicated. Otherwise, we could have kept it very simple. So this is the idea of sadhana behind the lives of the spiritually illumined soul. It's not sadhana for them. They live a very simple, spontaneous life. For us, it becomes a sadhana. So now we will try to uh, understand the sadhana chatushtaya, as has been spoken of in Vedanta, how it has been exemplified in the life of Holy Mother. So, as we have indicated, that the sadhana of the fourfold spiritual practice speaks of viveka. What is viveka? So, it is the first practice. In Vedanta, they define viveka as nitya, anitya, vastu, vichara, viveka. Nitya, nitya, vastu, vichara. That what is ephemeral, what is flowing, what is transient, and what is something which is permanent as the background of it. Constantly, 
the discriminant between these two is Viveka. We will find that in our life, why our life becomes complicated? The thing which is going to pass off, which is transient, which is flowing with all our intelligence, with all our qualifications, with all our degree, what we do, that basic common sense we lack. That's why in one place in the Swami Vivekananda's complete works, we find Swami is saying that the most uncommon thing in this world is common sense. That if this world is transient, everything is going to simply flow by, nothing is going to be permanent, then why this much of clinging? With all our education, somehow we find we somehow cannot get rid of the idea of clinging to life in spite of the very commonsensical fact that it is not going to stay with us. And that's why we suffer, not only suffer, all throughout our life, all the complications, all the fight with our relations, everything happens because of clinging, extra, inordinate clinging to something which is going to pass. And however I try, I cannot stay with those things eternally. But there is something which is eternal. We are not at all aware of it. We are not about bothered about it. So in the life of Holy Mother, almost at the fag end of his life, he will indicate an incident that how <clears throat> that uh, the life shows that the Viveka was something spontaneous in their life. It was in the month of December in 1980. Uh, Holy Mother was seated on the veranda of her house at Jayanamati. She was she used to spend some time of the year in her parental home at Jayanamati and the remaining part of the year she used to be in Calcutta with her devotees staying in Bodham. So it was the time when she was at her house at Joyalambati in December 1918. She was just relaxing, sitting in the veranda, and suddenly he saw two of his brothers. Though <clears throat> they are the brothers of Holy Mother, they were as such that biological relation doesn't mean that they all a spiritually illumined souls, all the biological uh, relations also will be illumined. They were like an any other ordinary human being, extremely worldly and very much attached to their property. So now these two brothers, Kali Kumar and Baroda, so these two brothers started quarreling. Holy Mother was observing. What was the context of the quarrel? That Kali Kumar, the younger brother, he was building a fence. And that fence, you know, the extension of the fence was creating an obstruction for Varada, the other brother, the elder brother. Varada has to carry the paddy uh, uh, <clears throat> to the farm here. And this new fencing was obstructing the way which he used to use for this, carrying the paddy. This was the context on which the quarrel started. Now just see this inordinate attachment. It is a very obvious thing that let us all live together. For sometimes it's necessary. It's not that uh, just this is my land and I have to have the full right uh, till the last point of it. This may sometimes, it's, it's justified, but it may create unnecessary complications. 
even a two or three inches inside is not going to in any way affect my way of living. At the same time, it is going to help others. But I start claiming this is my land. And that's the same thing which is happening there. And the quarrel was so intense that last they came to blows. They were almost at the point of coming to blows. And then Holy Mother got a bit agitated. After all, there is her brothers. She got up, she came almost running and stood between the two brothers. And she always had a long well, that well fall off, fell off. And she was shouting at both of them, hearing her shout, the others, some of the devotees who were there, they came running and they somehow managed to just uh, take them apart, Kalikumar and Barba. They were still swearing at each other when they were, and this is a common thing which we find, we all most probably have experienced at some point of life, this type of, uh, <clears throat> this total uh, lack of control of our own emotions. It was, they were at rage, they were swearing at each other, though they were forcefully dragged apart. And now when Holy Mother found that there is no chance that they will come to blows, though they are a bit angry, it will take some time for them to subside. Holy Mother was totally exhausted because of that. She came running and after all, his brothers, brothers were quite strong. She was trying her best to separate them and she got a bit exhausted. She again went back, sat on the veranda and it took just a matter of minutes. Suddenly she started laughing aloud. She was having a burst of laughter. And what she was saying is something very important. That here is this infinite world. It is, it was, it is going to be there. And what one claims as his or her possession will be left behind after death. Still humans cannot understand this simple truth, this simple truth. So here, this simple example. And another thing, very example, this Holy Mother got agitated because he saw the brothers are about to come to blows. Naturally, she has to go and stop them. The moment uh, needed that, that she had to be proactive. So, it doesn't mean that, that Vivek doesn't mean that we have to be like something calm means uh, totally inactive. Even if I see someone fighting, I don't try to go and stop them. Yes, I become proactive. And for that, a little agitation is built up even within me also. But what's the characteristic of a realized soul? He very quickly, he or she very quickly comes back again to that equipoise state. The agitation may happen. Even in the life of Jesus, when he was about to be crucified, suddenly the doubt came. Oh God, have you forsaken me? The very next moment, that famous statement, which has made Jesus immortal, that, oh Lord, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just see, even for a divine incarnation, the doubt in the mind do come, they vacillate. But they are like the, the, the toy with center of gravity at, you know, is having a center of gravity at a low point. So they cannot be in any way, you cannot uh, make them fall. They must probably are balanced. If you push them, 
they will be also agitated. They will be moving violently, but very quickly they will again come back to the balance. There is no question of falling off the balance. So this spiritually illumined souls, when they are dealing with the day-to-day -day life, that it may appear that for the time being, they also get a bit vacillated, but very quickly they come back to the balance. So in our life, we find many people say that situation disturbs me. And this, that situation disturbs me, becomes the cause of more turmoil, that I somehow cannot keep the balance. Know it for certain. That the situations of life, as per the demands, we are bound to get a bit disturbed. That's quite okay. But how quickly we are coming back again to our awareness, the spiritual awareness, and so that we can maintain our equipoise. That's where test the lies the test of our great resolution and our spiritual evolution. So that's the idea of Viveka, which we find in this incident in the life of Olivata. That how quickly she is immediately, the small incident becomes the jumping board for her to relate to the eternal existence, not to this ephemeral one. And she's having a burst of laughter. Like a small child, she's just laughing at the this <clears throat> childishness of his brothers. So the next quality is the vairagya. After Viveka, when you know what is permanent, what is impermanent, naturally the question comes, if I know something is, I'm aware of the fact something is impermanent, why should I get attached to it? Why should I expect something out of it? So vairagya, as has been defined in the scripture is the dispassion. What is the dispassion? Iha amutra falabhoga viraga. Iha, here, amutra, hereafter. Means our attachment to this ephemeral world doesn't exist, is not only limited to my present state of existence. Amutra, even after I die, I am going to, I will go to the heaven and enjoy have an extension of the enjoyment of this life in a more intense way. That's the idea of heaven, the extension of the enjoyment of this world in a more intense way, where all the sufferings are eradicated, only the so-called uh, the happiness, the elation which we get out of life, that only is there. Unadulterated happiness I enjoy in the heaven. So that's the idea of our worldly existence, that even after death, I continue, I continue to enjoy. Virala speaks of that, that yes, that they are not denying heaven. Heaven may be there, but it is just an extension of this present world, which is ephemeral. That is also ephemeral. As in our scriptures, it has been indicated, pshine punni matya lokam vishanti. <clears throat> With all the credits which you have earned because of your virtuous way of living that might have that might take us to some higher plane of existence after death or even in this life as i have endeavored to get established in life as a result the karma has followed i do get established but even in this life we experience that we need not have to die and go to heaven that with all our endeavor what all wealth, position in life, which I have acquired, can be enjoyed eternally? 
The way of life is such. It's a flow. After some time, the wealth may be there, but I am going to get old. I am going to get diseased. I, the death is waiting me. So there is no question of continuing with my, the things which I have acquired eternally. If this is a fact here, this is a fact even in heaven. Only maybe the, the period of life may be a bit more extended. But it is also going to end. And very interesting, we may think that extended life, that I don't think of eternity, even that extended life is something which I desire. This life is so much relative. Just here in this life, you will get an example. Do we as a human being think that my life is something quite a long expanse? No, that even 100 life is after all something which is short for us because that's why we are trying to extend our life with all sorts of medical research or exercise or way of life. That's what we try to do. If we had the idea that this is sufficient, you would have not gone for that. But think, if even your pet dog, if he has that idea, the domesticated dog has the idea that how long we live, the dog will feel that we are something eternal. We are living five to six times more uh, that lifespan than the so-called the dog or the cat. We are something like devas for them. So it is so relative. But at the same time, when you are human, you don't feel your life is too long. Similarly, when you are a deva, from our standpoint, it is a, something like infinite. But they will also feel it's very short. Time is something very relative. From one standpoint, it may appear to be long. Even you will find if you ask a small child, if you, for small children, if you remember, one year is quite long. The more we grow older, uh, that one year appears to be so quickly passing. You know why? Again, it's a question of relativity. A child of five or six years, he has, li he, he has lived only six years of life compared to six years, one year is really long. But when you have already lived a life of 50, 60 years. So compared to 50, 61, it is really short. So it's totally, it's just a very complex, easy way of understanding that how this relativity uh, is very important factor in really measuring the time. The same one year appears to be so short for an elderly person. So everything in this life or after life, which we are thinking of enjoying, has to pass off, pass off. They are not going to stay with you eternally. They have to pass on. And then why should I be so much clinging to it? So that's why Iha, Amutra, Falabhoga, Viraga is Vairagya. So this is the thing which we find is spontaneously being expressed in the life of Holy Mother. You know that the marriage of Sri Ramakrishna was something when he was 24, Holy Mother was just five. So it was just something where the marriage was arranged, but yet to be consummated. So she was living with her parents. Only when she can, when she's elder, she will grow up, then only she will be going to her husband's place and stay with the husband. That was the tradition in the olden days. That the engagement was fixed, but the, really the 
married life started much later. Now, when Holy Mother was now has reached her puberty, she was a young lady and she came to Dakshineshwar to stay with Ramakrishna. Naturally, Ramakrishna was already totally intoxicated with the divine. He had no intention to lead a so-called worldly life. To test Holy Mother, we find one day Sri Ramakrishna is asking that question. Have you come to drag me to worldliness? Now any wife do have the right to assert, yes, that's the, that's what that's the marriage is meant to be. But we find that she also is attuned to the life of Ramakrishna. And she also has already developed that idea that after all, the life with all these so-called worldly entanglements has no meaning. It's purposeless. At last, it gives us nothing. She has already developed. The answer was something which Sri Ramakrishna also most probably was surprised. She most, most probably have not expected because Ramakrishna once told her that you have the right to assert your position in my life, your role in my life. If you say that I have to live a worldly life, I have to await. There is the reference of that in Sri Ramakrishna's life. But here we find that Vairagya is already being as if implanted in her life. Sri Ramakrishna some other place told that before she came, Ramakrishna intensely prayed to the Divine Mother, Mother, please make her mind also attuned to mine so that we can become, she can become Sahadharmini. The word Sahadharmini which we use for uh, the translation as for the wife actually has a much more deeper significance, Sahadharmini. The dharma which I one is following, the other complements it. They both are tuned to the same goal. They're both tuned in the ideal. So here we find Holy Mother is a real sadharmin. When we find Ramakrishna totally absorbed in the spirituality, she, what she is replying is something. When Ramakrishna asks, have you come to drag me to worldliness? What's the reply? No. I have come to assist you in your spiritual journey. So that's the thing. And then Ramakrishna felt that my prayer has been answered. Before she came, Ramakrishna's prayer was that make her mind attuned to mine. And that prayer was answered. How nicely she's replied that she came there to assist in her spiritual, in his spiritual journey. And that's why we find Sri Ramakrishna to the devotees, what she, he's saying, what he's admitting is something wonderful. In one place, we find that Ramakrishna is saying, if she had not been completely pure, if she had forgotten herself and made physical demands on me, then would not I too have lost self-control and brought my mind down to the physical level? Who can tell? A person like Sri Ramakrishna is admitting to the fact that she also has the same uh, right as for the divine uh, well, this authority is concerned. They both have that same right. 
They both are. As per the illumination is concerned, they both are in the same place. They're both spiritually illumined. Actually, the power exerted, the power expressed in Holy Mother's life is something more even than Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna couldn't hide his spiritual ecstasy. In Holy Mother's life, ecstasy was like river Falgu. In India, you have heard that river Falgu, that there are some rivers which has undercurrent. The top, it's, it appears to be just the dry land, but if you uh, the river is as if the real river, the flow you don't see in the top. You have to dig and then you will find the water is flowing under the ground. So undercurrent, this which is not visible, is, the, uh, is what that Fulgu uh, river exemplifies. That's why we find that in our, uh, uh, in Indian language they say, but whenever something is not visible, something is a, a very, very hidden trick, it's called it's like river Fulgu. So in the life of Holy Mother, spirituality was like river, river Falgu. It was an undercurrent that she was leading a life, a very, very highly spiritually evolved life, but outwardly there was no expression of it. Even Ramakrishna himself couldn't hide his ecstasy. Holy Mother had a tremendous capacity. Outwardly she was so just like an ordinary person. Inwardly we find that she was established in the highest spiritual knowledge. So that's what we find, please mentioned here, that if she had not been completely pure, if she had forgotten herself and made physical demands on me, then would not I too have lost self-control and dropped my mind down to the physical level? Who can tell that? So this shows the vairagya, the tremendous vairagya in which Holy Mother's was established, her life was established. So after Viveka Vairagya comes Samadhamadi Shat Sampati. There are six spiritual treasures which a Vedantin has to practice in his or her life to attain spiritual illumination. So this is the third track, the six, the six uh, treasures which has to be practiced is after Viveka Vairagya, this Six treasures has to be practiced, which has been termed as Shama, Damadi, Shat, Sampati. What it means, Shama is one of the first traits of the six treasures. The first treasure is the Shama. The second is Dhamma. Adi means etc. All this etc. will be spoken of. The Shama, Dhamma, Adi, Shat, Sampati. Six Sampati means treasures. Shama. So what are the six treasures? Shama, Dhamma, Uparati Titiksha Samadhan Sraddha. So we will take up one by one, try to understand them, and then try to understand how they were exemplified in the life of Holy Mother. Sama. Sama means first comes controlling the mind. Dhamma speaks of controlling the sense organs. In the Western psychology, they say that never try to control the impulses. Why this is they, they will create mental aberration. And here we find the answer that controlling the mind is in no way harmful if because controlling the senses is in no way harmful if it is preceded 
with the controlling of the mind. If I have convinced myself that the so-called the sense of pleasures of life as such is not going to give me any fulfillment, there are two things. Sometimes I find my obsessions are the maybe the cause of social dis disintegration. People will avoid me because of my mental aberrations. And that's why I force myself to behave. That can of course result in, that is a repression, that may result in some type of psychological complications. But if I'm convinced of the fact, this way of life is not going to give me any fulfillment. Even in the modern psychology, they speak of delaying the gratification for, for some higher purpose. If you develop the capacity to delay your gratifications for higher purpose, that is not going to harm you. That itself is going to help you. So that's the idea which has been found in the Samadamadi The First comes Shama, controlling of the mind. So there we find in the life of Holy Mother, when she was growing up, though she had that uh, idea of renunciation, but after hearing from the other village folk that after all marriage is meant to be consumed so that you have children. So this is the idea that as a married woman, as a wife, at last I have to become a biological mother. So this was most probably also there in the mind of Holy Mother. As a young, she was growing up. Sri Ramakrishna, though he was staying in Dakshineshwar, especially in the rainy season, he used to come back to his ancestral home is to come there because in the rainy season, the water, the, the Ganges water becomes a bit turgid and the turgidity in those days, the filtration procedure was not something very sophisticated. So he used to get a lot of his digestion issues, the stomach upset, he used to get stomach issues. And that's why, sorry, just come and sit here. So uh, he used to have these digestion issues, and that's why he used to go to uh, Kamarpu, his ancestral home, and stay for a few months, and then again come back to Dakshineshwar. That's what he used to do every year. And that's the time when Holy Mother Sharada Devi was growing up. So when Sri Ramakrishna used to Kamarpu to serve him, Jayarambati is just three, four kilometers away. So she used to come from her parents' parental home to stay with Ramakrishna. And that's the time when uh, instructions given to Holy Mother have started. And that, though that was in a very, very informal way. It's not uh, something that I'm giving you spiritual instruction. That way Sri Ramakrishna is to teach her. She was still young. Just playfully, even sometimes jokingly, he would give some instructions with the intention that let them sit in so that it creates a total different type of mental orientation as she grows to an adult woman. And now we find a very nice incident, that summer, the controlling of the mind, how important it is in spiritual life. 
Without that, we cannot think of Dhamma, the contrarium of senses. So one day, Holy Mother was, as a young girl, was grooming the courtier. And Sri Ramakrishna was sitting on one corner of the courtier. He was sitting there. He was having a hubble bubble. He was smoking. And in, the, in a relaxed mood, he started just uh, discussing something with Holy Mother. Of course, she's the wife. But she's saying, that what's the use of having biological child? In those days, you know, the children's this mortality rate was quite high because of various types of epidemics that was very prevalent in those days in the villages, like cholera, malaria. It used to be there a very common thing. And once it comes, it will just sway over the entire society. And the children were highly affected. Many of the children used to die because of all those infections. Now, Sri Ramakrishna started saying this, so that what's the use of having children? Suppose you have a child, and on the day of the first rice-taking ceremony, and you're so happy, you adorn yourself with all the ornaments you have, the guests has been invited, and you are ready to celebrate the joyous occasion, and suddenly you find the child is a bit sick. And then you go to the doctor, the doctor diagnoses it as malaria, and within a few days the child dies. You open up all your ornaments, you start crying, wearing, all your happiness is gone. And then another child is born who's probably after one or two years, again you uh, just uh, adorn yourself for the first rice giving ceremony, for the rice taking ceremony. And then again, this time you find that after a few days the child died, this time was probably because of cholera. Now, Holy Mother, it's very interesting. She was having a long well and she was grooming. And she was a small girl. She was yet uh, uh, to be an adult, most probably just in the early teens. And she feebly commented from behind the well. It's a very, very uh, straight comment. Will all of them die? That was the only thing she replied. The Ramakrishna, who was just joking, he immediately jumped up. All this uh, making fun stopped. He jumped up and what he commented is something very interesting. It seems I have stamped on the tail of a deadly snake. Saying that he went inside. Holy Mother also was highly embarrassed. Just see, this is actually the sign of purity. Purity is not innocence. We say as pure as a child. Child is not pure. It is just innocent. We don't know what's hidden in its mind. The moment it starts growing, all those traits will find expression. That is innocence. That is not purity. Purity is maturity through the experiences of life. As you go through the life, the experiences teaches us. For most of us, we don't learn from the experience. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, the camel thrives on thorny bushes. It eats the thorny bushes. When eating the thorny bush, it bleeds, but still it goes on eating the thawne bush. That's what our life is. We suffer for our inordinate attachments, but still we go for that. So we don't learn from the experiences. Once it was asked to Swami Sharadananda, a very simple question after the lecture, that what is life? One sentence speaks of how illumined they were. A very simple answer. What is life? 
No one can deny what a wonderful answer it was. The answer was, life is nothing but a chain of experiences. Can we deny the fact? It's a chain of experiences. Whether you will or not, you have to go through these experiences. Whether we like it or not. That's what all life is. You just look at your life at retrospect. As a retrospect, what's life? It's just a chain of experiences. And the next question was very interesting. That yes, what is life is a chain of experiences. Okay, I agree. But what is the aim of life? And immediately Shardananda replied, to learn from these experiences. That's where we, where we lack. We don't learn from the experiences. If we can learn from the experiences, we can also be spiritually limited to learn from those experiences. And when you learn from those experiences, what happens? Your sensitivity increases. The thing which you took to be something quite casual, you will become very sensitive about it. Sometimes we blame the so-called spiritually illumined soul to be extremely sensitive. But small joys and uh, what you say, the joke is going on, which is something very casual for all, but they don't take it so casually. And yes, here we find Ramakrishna jumped up. You may say, what's there to jump up? You know, scripture, purity has been defined very nicely. What it says, a single, a single sand particle, if it falls on your skin, you don't feel any type of pain or suffering for it. It's just there. But the same, but the same sand particle, if it falls on your eyeball, how will you feel? Immediately it starts irritating you. You suffer. If the more we are, we learn through the experiences of life, a single sand particle can be the cause of irritation because we have become more sensitive. We know it's not a just simple innocent enjoyment. It will start gradually uh, creeping into my mind unconsciously at last to become a huge tsunami. The small bubble in no time can become a huge tsunami. If I do not nip it at the bird, and that speaks of summer. Holy Mother immediately understood that hearing to the, this, the simple people of the village, that as a biological mother, as a, as a wife, you, you should have a biological child. Though she never had any desire for it, but just what she has heard, she told. And from that she understood that yes, there must have this, this little desire for having a child was in the mind. And that's how Sri Ramakrishna immediately has scanned that. And that speaks of the summer. Immediately, she is no more joking. The one who was sitting and just cutting joke with the Holy Mother immediately gets up. And what she says, he says, I was it stand on the tail of a deadly snake. That's how he's reacting. So this speaks of summer. Dhamma is the controlling, then comes the controlling of the senses. When you have somehow convinced your mind, that this worldly way of life at last is not going to give me any satisfaction. You may sometimes feel this life of Ramakrishna and Holy Mother is too much. Is it that for, uh, being a married person, is it not uh, okay to have children? The avatars, the spiritual incarnations comes to exemplify something. We may not be up to it. Just like when you are navigating through the ocean, I can never touch the pole star, it is high up in the sky, but it can show me the way. So their life is very high. It may not be possible to touch it, but it can show us the way. What's the way it shows us? That after all, 
marrying, having children is okay. That's how the life continues. But to have inordinate attachment just for the sensual pleasures is in, in a way going to disintegrate our life in the long run, making us totally a pauper in the spirit, not even the spiritual sense. Even in the worldly sense, we find that the more we are having inordinate attachments for something, we become a psychological wreck at last. No one have faith will have faith in you. You will be always uh, doubted as per your integrity is concerned. So why not take the marriage that way? That's why in gospel we find that after having one or two children, live like brother and sister. This may appear to be too much, but what he's speaking speaks of at last our own psychological integrity. That I have, as a married person, taken care of the responsibility for the human, uh, what you said, this is the generations to continue. Now I do have to take care of my spiritual life, which at last is going to give me my fulfillment. Why not be a responsible being in that sense? As a human being, we alone are responsible. We have the ability to respond in the desired way. That's why the word responsibility means responsibility. No other creature has. All the creatures are being driven by their impulses. Their responses are fixed. A particular stimulity for that their responses are fixed. As a human being, we have the capacity to respond as it is desired. We can choose it. And that lies our capacity, and that speaks of Dhamma. Once I have understood what is desirable, now comes the controlling of the senses. Here we find that Holy Mother, when she came to the Chineshwar as a young lady, and as she has already decided to compliment Ramakrishna as per the spiritual journey's concern, to cooperate with him, to assist him, there we find a wonderful way of controlling the senses. It doesn't have to come to the gross level, even in the day-to-day -day simple life. Sister Nivedita, sometimes even in the Indian tradition, when we are growing up, sometimes we uh, even don't notice the sublimity of some tradition, of our tradition. Nivedita, when she heard one thing, that Holy Mother had a long will, even in presence of Ramakrishna, Hardly Ramakrishna has seen Holy Mother's face. That's what Nivedita is writing in one of the letters. Can you believe the one who has the right on his husband, she just to cooperate him has never shown her face to her husband. She was in a long well. What else can be given as an example, better example of controlling yourself when you have already decided to lead a life as per your idea. She had the intention to serve Sri Ramakrishna. And we find that where she was staying, just adjacent to Ramakrishna's room, not in the same room, there's a small Nahabad, the place where at the time of the evening Vesper service at Dakshineshwar Kali Temple, there used to be this Nahabat. The Nahabat was meant for playing the musical instruments when the Arthikam is going on. So in the Nahabat, the Shehnai will be played. So there are two Nahabats, both were not used. The one which was used, that was on the other corner. And this one, which was not used, the small rooms, very small rooms. You cannot imagine 
Even the door was so low that you have to bend down to enter. And there she has spent years just to serve the master and his extended spiritual family. Those who used to come to him for spiritual guidance, spiritual instruction. To all of them, she was serving, staying in that room. Just because she wants to be in association with her husband, who is the holiest of the holy. What more can speak of Dhamma, the controlling of the senses, regulating the life. Once she is convinced of the Shama, that the mind has to be regulated, it is followed by Dhamma. Uparati, it speaks of that we find that our mind, though we have taken the resolution to control our mind, the mind's nature is such, it will get distracted. It's a monkey mind. Uparati speaks of bringing them back, cajoling and bringing them back again and again. So that's what the uh, idea of Uparati, that the distracted mind, again you bring it back to your focus. And we find that Holy Mother's prayer, day after day, this wonderful prayer, we all, uh, it's an ideal prayer, which I think we all can internalize. It's such a simple prayer which Holy Mother used to pray unceasingly. She was as such not educated in the academic education. So her words are very simple, very simple. What's the prayer? That even I look at the moon, we say that as pure as moon, the moon appears to be stainless. But we all know if you look intently at the moon, there is that because of the mountainous terrain in the moon, there are some stains visible even from the earth. Even on the full moon night, you can see those stents. There are so many imaginations. Some say that some lady is sitting there and playing on the charka and what all those things are there, those stains. So Holy Mother's prayer was very interesting. That stains can be seen even on the surface of the moon. Oh Lord, make my mind stainless, even purer than the moon as it. That was the unceasing prayer. What a wonderful prayer. Make my mind stainless. Even stains are there in the moon make my mind uh, even uh, more purer, more that the moon appears to be so pure, so soothing. It should be more soothing, more calm than the, even than the moon. So mother, there are stains, stains even on the surface of the moon, make my mind stainless. So that speaks of the Uparati, Titiksha. Titiksha is forbearance, the next practice. Forbearance is very important in spiritual life, even in our day-to-day -day life. Nowadays, in the name of freedom. Previously, especially our women folks suffered a lot. They had no education. They were totally dependent on men, especially the Indian society, even the other societies we find. It is the male, the male who was the earning member and the female was totally dependent on her. And there were a lot of atrocities going on. The way the, the woman was exploited. It's a history, it's there. But once we realize that the education came into picture and we find that both are educated. We all did this to get rid of all the exploitations the suffering which entails from all those exploitation. 
But have we really achieved that goal? Yes, we have educated women. That's of course uh, laudable. It has to be. It was. It has to be appreciated. But what has happened? The real education didn't happen. In the question of education, the question of getting financial freedom, we really lost the real sense of freedom to coexist. Freedom doesn't mean to go just to what is the walk down the center of the road that I have the freedom to walk and that we're disrupting the traffic. We know they'll never do that. I, my freedom in no way is going to hamper others' freedom. That's the real sense of freedom. But we will find here that we have become sure that our freedom, sense of freedom has given us so much assertion to our own ego that we are not in any way ready to even uh, coexist by little compromise that you, your interest comes first. That's primary. I am ready to sacrifice for that. That speaks of love. That has totally gone in the society. And what to speak of spiritual life, even in our day-to-day -day life, we find what has happened in the name of freedom. What has happened? We were suffering in the frying pan and we told it is not the place to stay there. We jumped and fell in the oven. The suffering was more intense. We jumped from the frying pan to the oven in the name of the freedom. That's why Sri Ramakrishna always used to say that in our Indian language, there are three S. When, the, when, you, when your tongue touches the teeth, there's a particular type of S pronunciation. When the middle of the tongue touches the palate, then a hissing sound comes, that's a different type of pronunciation. So there are three types of S in Sanskrit. And Sri Ramakrishna in his colloquial way used to say, you know why there are three S? To stress Sahihya, forbearance in Sanskrit called Sahihya, Sajja. If you cannot forbear, know it for certain, it is going to kill you. In the name of freedom, at last you will find it is you who are suffering. And it's tithiksha in the spiritual sense, it's in, even in our worldly sense, it makes us disintegrated. In spiritual sense, there cannot be any spiritual progress. If the little disturbance of the life disturbs me, how can you calm your mind and think of God? A little something which is not as per your desire happens and it disturbs you. How can you think of calming down your mind and think of God? It's impossible. That's why even Jesus says that if you have a fight with your brother, first resolve that before you go to offer something in the altar of the divine. If you have fight of your, with your brother and you have not resolved, Know it for certain, your offering won't be accepted. The same idea, Tithiksha, that to a certain extent we have to forbear. And we find that highly, if anything, which is predominant in the life of Holy Mother is this Tithiksha. She was not staying in some uh, nunnery. She was staying with all those half-mad family members, Pagli Mami, an adjective Pagli was used in front of her name. Because she was really mad. With her, she was staying. Radhu, the daughter of Pagli Mami, she herself developed the traits of her mother. Nalini Didi, obsessive cleaning for small, small things. If it, when she has taken a dip in the village pond and while returning, if a crow just flows over her head, she will again go to take a dip. 
that type of obsession, this type of people are surrounding her. And you have to just read through her life. There are innumerable examples where we find that Holy Mother, how wonderfully she is not only managing these people, as she is at the same time maintaining her equipoise. And this is the quality without which we can never think of having any type of spiritual progress. Shankaracharya, how nicely I have defined this Tithiksha. Sahanam sarva dukhanam apratikara purvata. That you have to forbear with the sufferings of life without trying to mend them, rectify them. Why not try to rectify them? Yes, if they can be rectified, you should rectify. But you will find, you will find in life, 99% of the problems are something which, over which we have no control. You cannot rectify. So don't think of rectifying. But at the same time, that, that we are bound to do that. We do that. When I know my boss in my office is a half mad person, I bear because I know my job has to be there. But how I bear? The next line is very important. We, we just silently bear, constantly grumbling within. That won't help. So Sahanam Sarvadukkhanam Apratikara Purvutam. Next line is very important. Chinta Vilapa Rahitam. Without that grumbling, without cursing inward, in, in, inwardly. In your mind, you're cursing others. You're swearing on others. That has to stop. You have to be calm within. Then only it is the diksha. That even if the others are the cause of your suffering, knowing that the entire world is one with God, have a sense of love and reverence for others. As very nicely the Bhagavatam it has been said, that if it is, it is God who has become everything, we are all the part of the divine, how can we angry on others? And the next example it gives is very interesting. While taking food, when accidentally my tongue gets bitten by my own teeth, whom do I blame? So when you have the sense of oneness, the question of fighting, asserting doesn't come. That's the titiksha which has been spoken of as a fourth practice. When you have got established in this, then comes the question of samadhana. Samadhana is a question of this concentration, focus, samadhi, getting absorbed in your spiritual uh, idea, the, what the, you know, the spiritual abstract thought which you have as per your ideology. On that you get totally absorbed. That speaks of samadhana. This is very nicely exemplified in the life of Holy Mother. When Swami uh, Yogananda, as a young boy, was staying in the Chineshwar, one day it so happened, it so happened that at night, uh, Swami uh, Ramakrishna uh, never, the marriage was never consummated. She ne never lived with Holy Mother. Now, one day night, Yogananda was staying in Ramakrishna's room. He woke up and found Ramakrishna is not there. And now as a young boy, doubt came to his mind. It's natural, it may happen, that he preaches renunciation. He shows the world that he's renounced, but at night, where has he gone? Just next door, the next building, where is where Holy Mother stays at Nahavad. Is he in Nahavad? 
this yogan 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 this doubt tormented him so much he got up and he hid himself outside so that he can see look at the door of nahavat and he was waiting to see whether ravan ramkrishna comes out of there and now very interesting when he comes out as uh, with that intention he finds a wonderful thing the first thing he sees that holy mother is not inside nahavat it was a full moon night he she was sitting outside supporting a pillar she was sitting totally absorbed she was always had a long veil but she was so absorbed in her meditation and knowing very well at night no one is going to be there when her veil has fallen off no one knew the veil has fallen off she was totally deeply immersed in meditation but still yogananda was waiting where for where ramakrishna is there yeah where is he so he was still waiting to see where ramakrishna is and then suddenly he saw ramakrishna was coming from the panchavati you know in the olden days for the nature's call even in villages uh, now the things are gradually changing they used to that's why it's called nature's call that when you have the urge you go uh, for, for the biological reasons previously people used to go to the nature that's why it's nature's call so ramakrishna's had a nature's call for the nature's call he went to near something behind the panchavati he was coming from the panchavati the grove where he did his sadhana behind that from there he was coming so now yogananda was really embarrassed so ramakrishna actually went for the nature's call but this gave the revelation that holy mother how absorbed one can be where that the one who is so shy have even that the veil has fallen off she is not aware totally absorbed in deep meditation the one whose mind is already established in samadhana upadhi diksha that's what obviously follows the mind is totally absorbed in samadhana and all these things are guided by the sixth treasure that is the shraddha if you are constantly doubting then the spiritual practice can never start for most of us there is no shraddha shraddha is there for some uh, for if i am students of science when someone says me something that say that einstein's theory of relativity i immediately believe there is no need for proving it if i say if it's child school students say that prove it then i will believe it the teacher will say you are not yet your education level is not up to that so that i can prove it to you when you go to the post graduation level then this thing can be shown to you palpably for now you take it as a working principle and we simply as we have faith that that einstein is always right the scientist is always right with unflinching faith i take their words to be true and proceed in my studies to come to the state when i realize that what they told can be proven but in spiritual life very interesting when we when a spiritually illumined soul speaks of this detachment and other things we simply brush off these are all nonsense he is a mental wreck trying to convince us with all his peculiar way of living if that's what uh, our mental attitude is the question of spiritual other steps doesn't come at all so shraddha is the guiding thing the unflinching faith in guru and in the scripture is faith it's just like going to the doctor 
when, the, I, when I have some physical ailment, I go to the doctor, the doctor prescribes me something, I just take it. I follow the prescription. Why do I understand anything in the medical sense? My, nothing. But I have the faith. I know that this medical research is authentic. And this person who has studied those things will be uh, just prescribing me as per the authenticity of the medical science. And I just believe. And I get cured as per the prescription. I don't have to myself go through the entire medical science. That is Swadha. So here also the one who has already gone through that path and has got illumined, he is prescribing something. He is prescribing something. And if I don't have faith, the question of other spiritual stages doesn't come. And in the life of Holy Mother, again, we find an unflinching faith of Ramakrishna. When she heard that Ramakrishna has gone mad when she was in Dakshineshwar, that she has gone mad. She had that faith. It's a different type of madness. It cannot be the madness as we know. There are two types of madness. The one is really the becoming a mental wreck. Another madness, I will just give an example to explain what's that madness. Suppose uh, all the people are dancing on a particular rhythm. Some party is going on. There's a particular rhythm in which all are dancing. And you find all are in rhythm. And you find one person is out of the rhythm. And you say, oh, he cannot dance. He's out of the rhythm. So madness is also something like that. We are all dancing in a particular rhythm of worldliness. Someone is out of the rhythm. And then someone discovered actually is not out of the rhythm. It is appearing that he's out of the rhythm. He is hearing some other tune and dancing, which we don't hear. So he is hearing some other tune in that rhythm he's dancing. And Holy Mother understood that even when she was a young girl. She knew it is not a madness, it's an ordinary madness. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, when someone used to say uh, that people are saying that you are mad, Ramakrishna's simple answer was that all are mad. Some are mad after money, some are mad after power and position, some are mad after worldly ways of life, or some are mad for women. I am mad for God. What's the harm in it? All are mad. So that's the answer. And Holy Mother found that yes, this is the madness which speaks of the minority. In this world, nothing is true. The reality which we speak of is a consensus reality. When I see the red color, the red color is generated by my mind. The same red color is generated by you. And majority says red, but there are some colorblind who doesn't see it red. I see he's colorblind. But actually, we all have projected that color and we vote that it is red. And that's how we all consent to it is real. It becomes a consensus reality. But there is no such thing as red. Similarly, the world with its worldly ways says this is the natural. And when someone is a bit uh, different from it, we say he's unnatural. Holy Mother had that sraddha. And that's why when she comes to Dakshineshwar, his life becomes a guiding principle. The last principle, I won't take time, it's mumukshutva. A tremendous eagerness should be there. Once you have the faith, you have started the spiritual journey, inside the tremendous yearning should be there. That yearning of what Sri Ramakrishna is to define how? That when some, you force someone deep into the water, the way he or she will be panting for breath till you leave him. You'll be panting for breath, gasping. That's the way do you feel for God. That's the Mumukshutva. 
that eagerness speaks of the acceleration in our spiritual journey, how quickly we will evolve spiritually. It has, it's, it's only that eagerness decides how eager you are, how, how much yearning you have. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that yearning is the red hue of the dawn. In the morning sky, you see the red hue. It's, it's the sun is yet to be visible. But you know, it's a matter of minutes. The sun will be visible. The red hue indicates that. Similarly, the yearning indicates that the spiritual vision, realization is bound to happen when you are in that yearning. In the life of Holy Mother, this is a, a small, funny uh, uh, example. We will end this discussion today. Now, you know that Ramakrishna, when he had the devotees in his room and there was a lot of kirtan, the spiritual singing, dancing was going on, Ramakrishna now and then is going to ecstasy. He knew very well that from Nahabat, his room is visible if all the doors are kept open. So he wanted that they should also enjoy. But in those days, as the ladies never used to come in front of the congregation, so that and in Nahabat there had that there used to be some screens. So that from behind the screen, they can somehow manage to see what's going on. Ramakrishna is to keep the doors open. And now Ramakrishna noticed that there's a small hole in the screen through which Holy Mother and uh, Lakshmi, one of the niece of Ram, uh, Ramakrishna, she also now and then used to stay in Dakshineshwar. So they used to peep through that hole to witness what that that's, that's the merriment, that mort of joy, uh, which is going, which has been created in the Ramakrishna's room to visualize that through that hole they used to peep. And naturally, as they were eager to enjoy, share that joy, that hole somehow started becoming bigger. They used to just try to drag. And Ramakrishna noticed that. One day to his nephew, Ramla, he told, see that the cage in which these two birds stay, that hole is becoming bigger. That speaks of the mukshutvam. So with this, we will say that in our life, somehow, those of the us who have developed a little taste for the divine. That little taste for the divine is like that hole in our world, in the wall of worldliness. That little taste of the divine is like that hole. Like holy mothers, Nahabat, that in our life, that the cage of Nahabat in which we are staying, where from where we have somehow tested that the, the divine bliss a little by reading the life of this spiritually living soul, a little test has developed. Our pray in the special days, let that hole become bigger. Let there be more and more related with the spiritual dimension so that the fulfillment which we all want, we all want a fulfillment, real happiness in life, real joy, which we all seek, which we don't get because we take the wrong path. For us, what has happened? That there's a tree, that example which we give again and again, is a mango tree laden with ripe, ripe mango, this mango fruits. We want to get the mango and there are two walls. We hurriedly kept the ladder in one of the walls to climb up and get the mango to find that I should have kept the ladder on the next wall. This one is a bit far away. Then I would have got the mangoes. In our life, we do the same endeavor. So much energy we waste by keeping the ladder in the wrong wall. If you would have kept the ladder on the correct wall, with the same endeavor, you would have reached the mangoes. 
And that speaks of the Mumukshutra to keep the ladder in the correct wall and have with that eagerness, we have to search for the divine dimension of our spiritual dimension of our existence to get established in it. And that alone can give us fulfillment. That, for that, that type of mushutta that we may also develop with this prayer, I would like to just end our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.